everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker, and welcome to episode 204 on January 25th, 2021. And I can't believe I didn't say this last week, but uh, happy belated Martin Luther King Day uh, for those of you in the U.S. And uh, I guess it's actually recognized in a couple other countries, but, you know, mostly for the U.S., Nevertheless, I can't believe we didn't mention it last Monday when it was actually Martin Luther King Day. So anyway, there's that. I wanted to let all the winners know that every uh, all the products ha have either been shipped or I have notified the shippers to ship them. So for the 10 winners last week, especially those who actually have physical things coming in the mail, hopefully they'll be arriving soon. I know that the books that I actually sent myself should be arriving very soon. And the Winston Privacy Box and the Librem 5 hopefully are on the way if they are not there already. Now, if you didn't get my if my email, make sure you check your spam folder. And of course, uh, if you if you didn't if you didn't listen last week, you don't even know if you're a winner. You might want to go back and listen to last week's podcast. So today we've got a new show for you. In fact, I've got I've got so much news, so many things I wanted to cover, and I knew there's just no way I could do it in one episode. So we're gonna have a couple back to back news episodes. I've got a lot to cover just today alone. We're gonna talk about Facebook and some malicious Chrome extensions that I need to warn you about. We're going to talk about a really super creepy uh, ADT tech that was caught spying on women through the security cameras that he helped install. I'm going to tell you about the mysterious case of Google's iOS apps and why they don't seem to have been updated lately, showing the new privacy labels required by Apple. I'm going to talk very briefly about uh, Malwarebytes and how it said it was hacked by the same people who uh, breached SolarWinds and became that massive U.S. government hack, but it's not as bad as you might think. So, uh, but since I did just give away 10 free licenses to that with the contest, I specifically wanted to bring it up to make sure that I could put your minds at ease. We'll talk about that. Windows 10 has several updates. And, you know, if you're just following my regular advice, which is to patch early, patch often, uh, and have those automatic updates set, you should be fine. But uh, I'll give you one more reason to make sure that you've done that. And then, as promised, we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, for instance, we're going to talk about the capital breach that happened a couple of weeks ago here in the United States and the security implications of that, as you might expect. Uh, being members of Congress, they, in their offices, could potentially have had lots of secret stuff. Turns out they really probably didn't, uh, which is good news. But uh, nevertheless, I said I was going to talk about that, so we'll talk about that. And finally, there's been a lot of kerfuffle in the last couple of weeks with WhatsApp, an extremely popular messaging app that is owned by Facebook, wasn't always owned by Facebook, about some privacy policy changes that they were basically going to be shoving down everybody's throat that caused a real uproar and uh, caused people to seek out a lot of alternatives, including my personal favorite, Signal. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, before I do, uh, I wanted to say a special thank you to two new reviewers. I actually got a brand new podcast review, which that this is the first one I've gotten in like over a year. So I wanted to read uh, that one first. And it's titled, and I'm, I'm not sure I get the reference, it says, One of the Ambulance Crew. And it gave it five stars, so thank you for that. And the review says, Been listening to this podcast for over a year now. Great podcast. That's in all caps. His most recent book is simple enough that older people can understand it, but also in-depth enough that it conveys the critical security information across to any age. I would highly recommend, and in full disclosure, I did not receive anything in exchange for this review. Well, it's not for lack of trying, because I <laughs> did try to get a bunch of people together to give reviews, and I uh, promised you an AMA, which never happened. We didn't get nearly enough reviews. So in the meantime, I think I'm working out some different ways to do that, and stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll give you some more info on that. 
but in the meantime, as these reviews come in, uh, I will feature them on the air, at least the ones that I think are most interesting, as, a, as at least my way of saying thank you. Speaking of which, there's one more book review in the United States. I wanted to read that. It's from somebody who calls themselves Trance Mist, and again, five stars, and it's titled Extremely Thorough and Well Explained. And the review says this. It says, This book does an excellent job of explaining the steps needed to take control of and understand and manage at least the important basics of, your, of using your computer on the internet. There are so many useful recommendations, tips, and explanations here. The book is highly comprehensive with lots of explanations, not just of the technologies themselves, but also the background and issues and trends that provide context and relevance. However, be forewarned that in order to really get the most out of this, you're going to have to be willing to go through and actually read a lot of this stuff. Reading a lot of it takes time. Terry has done a very good job of explaining the various aspects for a mostly non-technical audience. So if you have the patience to go through the book, learn and apply, you can benefit greatly from it. This book contains all the information that I wish I could give to all of my non-techie friends and family so they'd be more aware and better prepared online. Alas, if they would only read it. So thank you, Transmist. That was a wonderful review. And yeah, it's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in that book. There's 170 tips. It's like over 400 pages long. So yeah, there's a lot of information there. Now, of course, you don't have to do it all, uh, and, and you don't have to do it all at once. But yeah, I'm, I'm nothing if not thorough. So thank you very much for those reviews. If As I see more come in, uh, I will read them on the air. And I still need many, many, many more. So uh, if you haven't yet already, I would love to have a review on the book on Amazon or for the uh, podcast on iTunes on the Apple Store. All right, now let's get to the news. Okay, first up, I've got a couple articles here uh, from ThreatPost. Uh, the first one's about some malicious Chrome extensions that were abusing Facebook and scraping and saving users' profile data and more. Uh, so let me just read this article from ThreatPost. It says, Facebook has filed legal action against two Chrome extension developers that the company said was scraping user profile data, including names and profile IDs, as well as other browser-related information. The two unnamed developers under the business name Oink and Stuff, and I guess since they're saying there's two, I'm going to guess that that's two different ones, one's Oink and one is Stuff, developed Chrome malicious browser extensions which actually contained hidden code that functions like spyware, alleges Facebook. The four malicious extensions include Blue Messenger, which bills itself as a notification alert app for Facebook's Messenger communications feature, Green Messenger, which is a messenger app for WhatsApp, Emoji Keyboard, and a shortcut keyboard app and Web for Instagram plus DM, which offers tools for users to direct message each other on the Instagram app. The Oink and Stuff developers, quote, misled users into installing the extensions with a privacy policy that claimed they did not collect any personal information, unquote, according to Jessica Romero, Director of Platform Enforcement and Litigation with Facebook. In its Chrome extension webpage description for Web for Instagram plus DM, for instance, the company says, quote, we don't store, access, transmit, or share any sensitive or user private information, unquote. On its website, Oink and Stuff claims that it has more than 1 million active users and said it was founded in 2014. The company offers extensions for Chrome, Firefox, Opera, and Microsoft Edge, as well as Android apps offered by via Google Play. It's not clear if extensions offered to these other browsers were, were found to be malicious. When Facebook users installed these extensions on their browsers, they were actually installing the concealed code designed to scrape their Facebook data, according to Facebook. If users visited Facebook's website, for instance, the browser extensions were programmed to scrape their name, user ID, gender, relationship status, age group, and other information related to their account. 
And this is another quote from Romero. She says, the defendants did not compromise Facebook's security systems. Instead, they used the extensions on the user's devices to collect information. The extensions also scraped information from unknowing users' browsers that were unrelated to Facebook. Facebook did not clarify what this data was. Facebook also did not say how many users were affected. Okay, so obviously if you're using those extensions, you should uninstall them. But also it goes to the broader point that web extensions, which are have become very, very popular, uh, are something to be careful of. And you should treat them pretty much just like apps on your on your computer or on your phone. You should not have any extras there that you don't need. If you don't use them, you should uninstall them and you should limit the permissions of each of them as much as possible. Like for instance, a lot of them will ask to send notifications or a lot of them will ask for your location. Most of them don't need it. So the bottom line here is you might want to go to your browser and go to your add-ons or your extensions or your plugins. Each browser has a slightly different name for it and review what's there and make sure that you know what all is there and remove anything that you're not using. All right, next up, another article from ThreatPost. And this and this was covered in uh, multiple other places. You might have even seen this one on the news. Super creepy. Uh, it was. I think it happened in Dallas, Texas. So it's just one guy. But nevertheless, again, there's a moral to this story that is broader. So let me just read uh, this excerpt from this article from ThreatPost. It says, Former ADT employee Telesforo Al... Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this. Telesforo Alvias took note when there were attractive women at a home he serviced in the Dallas area. Then he would add his personal email address to their accounts so he could have around-the-clock access to their most private moments, according to U.S. Attorney's Office. Now Avias faces up to five years in federal prison for accessing roughly 200 accounts more than 9,600 times without consent over a four-and-a-half-year period. Avias admitted to regularly adding his own email address to customers' ADT Pulse accounts so he could watch customers in real time without them knowing. The U.S. Attorney's Office said that Avias would watch women naked and couples engaged in sexual activity for his own sexual gratification, they said. As soon as the company was made aware, Avias was terminated and reported to law enforcement. ADT also contacted each of the customers impacted and the, co- the company is doing what they can to address their concerns. ADT joins the ranks of many other companies dealing with insider threats on security. Ticketmaster was recently on the receiving end of a $10 million fine after several employees hacked a rival company's computer systems. Forrester researchers recently explained that the uptick in work-from-home and remote employees is likely to amp up the rise of insider threats across all industries. So, a couple points there. First of all, yeah, I'm sure that's right. All this working-from-home is, well, caused... Some weird things to happen. I mean, people are now in, you know, away from work. And sometimes when you're at home, you kind of feel maybe more free to do things you wouldn't do if you were in the office. And I, honestly, I think people are bored, <laughs> you know, having to stay home all the time. But then, you know, I think the bigger thing, at least for me, is be careful where you're going to put cameras in your house. I I can't imagine, I, I get, you know, ADT is a security company. I can't imagine still why anybody would put a camera in their bedroom or any place where they might be undressing, but apparently these people did. So, you know, I've got some webcams, but none of them are, (laughs) one of them is pointing out of my house. It's my doorbell. And one of them is in my, kind of in my kitchen downstairs where, you know, I just kind of check in on the dog sometimes when I'm away from the house. So anyway, beware of where, be careful of where you put those cameras. All right. Next up, as you know, because I mentioned it uh, having to do with Facebook recently, Apple with iOS 14 has started requiring what they're kind of dubbing privacy nutrition labels. 
in that it's a standardized way and a standardized format for declaring what sort of data uh, a given app on the, you know, on the Apple app store is collecting for about people, you know, what they're collecting and how they use it, who they share it with. Uh, it's a great idea. I mean, again, the transparency is step one and a lot of people, particularly F Facebook got really upset with this and they're actually claiming that it's going to have a huge hit to their ability to make revenue, which of course, Facebook, Google, all these companies are ad companies and they make money by harvesting your data and then using that data to target you with advertising. And so, you know, Facebook got really upset. I, I, I think they may even try to sue Apple. They came up with that full page ad in multiple newspapers talking about how they're out there fighting for small businesses and how this is going to hurt small businesses. And, you know, you know what I think of that, but uh, so Google you know, is they make apps for the, for the app store as well. And so they were subject to this same change, which took effect recently, but they haven't updated any of their apps. And I'm sure the way the, the way it was worded was, you know, from Apple is, you know, any apps or updates submitted after this deadline must have privacy labels. So Google has not updated a lot of their apps, which is raising some eyebrows. So anyway, this, this article from Mac rumors, talks about it. Let, let me just read from this article. As of December 8th, Apple has been requiring developers submitting new apps and app updates to provide privacy label information that outlines the data that each app collects from users when it's installed. Many app developers, such as Facebook, have complied and now include the privacy labels alongside their apps, but there's one notable outlier, Google. Google has not updated its major apps like Gmail, Google Maps, Chrome, and YouTube since December 7th or before, and most Google apps have to date not been updated with the privacy label feature. Now get ready for this. <laughs> this is a list of Google apps that have not been updated. Listen to this. The Google Translate, Google Authenticator, Motion Stills, Google Play Movies, and Google Classroom apps do include privacy labels even though they have not been updated recently. But Google Search app, Google Maps, Chrome, Waze, YouTube, Google Drive, Google Photos, Google Home, Gmail, Google Docs, Google Assistant, Google Sheets, Google Calendar, Google Slides, Google One, Google Earth, YouTube Music, Hangouts, Google Tasks, Google Meet, Google Pay, PhotoScan, Google Voice, Google News, Gboard, Google Podcasts, and more do not display the information. On January 5th, Google told TechCrunch that the data would be added to its iOS apps quote, this week or the next week, unquote, but both this week and the next week have come and gone with no update. It has now been well over a month since Google last updated its apps. When it said that an update was coming soon, Google gave no reason for the delay and still has not offered up an explanation for the lengthy period of time between app updates. Google typically pushes updates much more frequently across its catalog of apps, and its Android apps have continued to be updated regularly. There has been speculation that Google is hesitant to provide the privacy label data because of the negative feedback that other companies like Facebook have received, but there's still no confirmed explanation. Apple implemented app privacy information in iOS 14.3 to provide customers with upfront details about what data an app collects from them so they can make an informed choice when opting to install an app. App developers are required to self-report privacy information in the App Store. Developers must identify all data collection and use cases. So it's important to note that little self-reporting thing. Um, but my guess is that the fact that Facebook and it was so reluctant to do it, and apparently maybe Google is now too, is even though it's self-reported, I'm, I'm sure that there are policies in place uh, by Apple, whereas, whereas if you 
say that you do one thing and you don't, or don't say you do something, but you actually do, uh, there will be repercussions. So any big companies like, like Google or Facebook, I'm sure are going to try to do, do, you know, follow the letter of Apple's law. And it <laughs> sure does seem that Google is dragging its feet here. So uh, we'll see what happens there. All right, next up, just a, a brief uh, article about this Malwarebytes hack. And basically, Malwarebytes has come forward and said that they were hacked by the same group who breached SolarWinds. And, of course, SolarWinds was the company that provided security software, ironically enough, to many, 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 many U.S. government departments and organizations and military and all sorts of stuff. And it's probably the biggest hack in history. So Malwarebytes was hit, too. But uh, it sounds like it was a minor thing. So let me just read this article from ZDNet. Uh, and I'll put your mind at ease because I know that some of you use it. And I know that I just gave away 10 licenses to uh, to uh, 10 winners last week. So uh, here we go. It says, U.S. cybersecurity firm Malwarebytes today said it was hacked by the same group which breached IT software company SolarWinds last year. Malwarebytes says it said its intrusion is not related to the SolarWinds supply chain incident since the company doesn't use any of SolarWinds software in its internal network. Instead, the security firm said the hackers breached its internal systems by exploiting a dormant email protection product within its Office 365 tenant. Malwarebytes said it learned of the intrusion from the Microsoft Security Response Center on December 15th. Malwarebytes said that once it learned of the breach, it began an, in, it began an internal investigation to determine what hackers accessed. And then uh, ended with a quote here from Marcin... Oh, I'm going to get this totally wrong. Marcin Klasinski? I'm sure I got that wrong. Klasinski? Anyway, he said, he's the Malwarebytes co-founder co and current CEO. And, and his quote says, quote, after an extensive investigation, we determined the attacker only gained access to a limited subset of internal company emails. Our internal systems showed no evidence of unauthorized access or compromise in any on-premises or production environments. Our software remains safe to use, end quote. Now, obviously, I suppose that could change. If it does, I will certainly let you know here. My guess is that they would let you know if you are a Malwarebytes user. I'm sure they probably emailed you uh, about this. So uh, let's move on. Now, Windows has had a lot of trouble with their updates over the past year. Some really, really bad ones. But it's still necessary and it's still <laughs> you still should do it. If you're going to run Windows, you need to get it updated. And here's another example for why. Uh, this is from an article from TechRadar. It says, a new zero-day exploit has been discovered affecting Windows 10, alongside a number of other vulnerabilities affecting the Windows operating system. Perhaps the most worrying bug is being tracked as CVE-2021-1647, and I'll come back to that in a minute, and is a remote code execution vulnerability that works by tricking users into opening a malicious document on a system where an infected version of Microsoft Defender is installed. Microsoft has moved quickly to patch the security flaw, issuing a fix for a vulnerable version of the Microsoft Malware Protection Engine. The Redmond-based firm has also confirmed that a proof of concept for this particular zero-day exploit is already available, although the company has not been able to verify its efficacy. Fortunately, Windows users do not have to take any action to ensure that they are protected. The necessary patch will be automatically downloaded on devices running vulnerable versions of Microsoft Defender. Both the Malware Protection Engine and the Malware Definitions Registry are kept up to date for end users and enterprise firms running Microsoft Defender. The zero-day vulnerability is not the only bug Microsoft has acted swiftly to patch. As part of the company's January 2021 Patch Tuesday release, the firm has fixed a total of 83 vulnerabilities affecting a variety of solutions from its servers to developer tools. So again, the main takeaway, update early, update often, make sure that you're 
always applying the latest software updates, especially for your operating system. Um, and if you've got it turned on, it'll just happen by default and you're good to go. Now, uh, real briefly, I, I mentioned that kind of funky number. I've mentioned them before, but I just thought I'd circle back real quick. So CVE is a common vulnerabilities and exposures numbering system. So it's like basically a common way to register software bugs, and which is great, by the way. It says I can go in one place and look all these things up. Uh, and you might have noticed that, you know, CV, it's CVE-2021, so that's the year, and then-1647, which you might be tempted to believe that's an increment encounter, but I'm not sure if that's really the way those work, because that would mean that there are, that this vulnerability was the 1,647th bug found so far this year. It's not that that's impossible. It, it certainly could be, uh, but I'm not sure that that's really how that works. I'll, you know, I'll have to look that up. Maybe I'll get back to you on that one. But anyway, that's if you ever see CVE numbers, uh, that's how you can, that's, a, that's what they are, and that's a little bit of how to interpret what they mean. All right, now I've been mentioning this uh, for a couple weeks now, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the security aspects of the U.S. Capitol breach that happened a couple weeks ago. And as you know, you might guess, being Congress people, representatives of the United States government, you might assume, and some of them, of course, serving on committees like, you know, intelligence committees and having secret clearances, that they would have access to secret information or, if nothing else, maybe highly confidential information. And yet the Capitol was overrun with uncleared people uh, who were rifling through desks and even through some computers. And so, you know, might be worried about what they found there. It turns out it's probably not an issue. Uh, let me read this article from TechCrunch. It's the image that's been seen around the world. One of hundreds of pro-Trump supporters in the private offices of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi after storming the Capitol and breaching security in protest of the certification of the election results for President-elect Joe Biden. And when this was written, he was still a president-elect. Of course, he is now a president. Police were overrun, and some lawmakers' offices were trashed and looted. As politicians and their staffs were told to evacuate or shelter in place, one photo of a congressional computer left unlocked, still with an evacuation notice on the screen, spread quickly around the Internet. At least one computer was stolen from Senator Jeff Merkley's office, reports say. Most lawmakers don't have ready access to classified materials, unless it's for their work sitting on sensitive committees such as judiciary or intelligence. The classified computers are separate from the rest of the unclassified congressional network and in a designated sensitive compartmented information facility, or SCIF, in locked down areas of the Capitol building. Quote, no indication those classified systems were breached, unquote. And that was tweeted by a guy named Mike Yoang, a former House Intelligence Committee staffer. But the breach will likely represent a major task for Congress's IT departments, which will have to figure out what's been stolen and what security risks could pose a threat to the Capitol's network. Kimber Dowsett, a former government security architect, said there was no plan in place to respond to his storming of the building. The threat to Congress's IT network is probably not as significant as the ongoing espionage campaign against the U.S. federal networks. And that's, of course, referring to the Solar Winds hack, which I just spoke about. So basically, in the end, I... I I think what we can say is there, there probably was not likely a significant security breach, uh, stolen security information as a result of the storming of, storming of the Capitol, just simply because there's just not access to it. I have not heard anything that says that these skiffs were, and I think there's one on each side. There's one for the House and one for the Senate. And, uh, I've heard nothing so far that said that the skiffs themselves were compromised. And it sounds like, you know, any truly classified information would have not have been kept on any of the representatives, you know, regular computers. 
So cross your fingers. Uh, hopefully at least that didn't have major security problems. All right, last up, uh, let's talk a little bit about WhatsApp and that will lead well into uh, my tip or tips in this case of the week. And you may have actually seen this with the news uh, and it was about WhatsApp, uh, which is an extremely popular messaging app. And by the way, it's actually fairly secure in the sense that it is end-to-end -end encrypted by default. In fact, WhatsApp uses, uh, under the cover, use, uh, uses the Signal protocol. However, the key thing to keep in mind is that the app is owned by Facebook. And when something is end-to-end -end encrypted, it's encrypted between the two ends, meaning that, you know, nobody on the internet, you know, no cellular provider, no internet service provider, none of the backbone routing companies can read, you know, even Facebook in this case, through its servers, you know, and, you know, any of the, any of the places along the internet where that data may travel between one person's phone, let's say, and then and another person's phone, uh, that data is fully encrypted and should not be able to be decrypted by anybody, making it secure and private. However, Facebook owns the app. So, in order to show that text to you, if someone sends you a message, in order for you to read it, it has to be decrypted, which means that the app itself and the device itself has access to the unencrypted message, which means that there's nothing preventing Facebook from reading your messages and then building data on you and sending you ads based on what they find and whatnot. So <laughs> it's important to realize it's not enough in this case, just for the data to be encrypted from end to end. If the endpoint itself, if the app or the phone is compromised, or if the app is written by somebody who doesn't care about your privacy, it's not private. So let me read from this article from the next web, and then we'll talk a little bit more at the end. Uh, keep in mind as you read this, that this is actually the second in an article. So the, the original article is kind of mentioned non-chronologically. So bear with me as we read the article and it'll cover the original topic as well as the subsequent update. After a ton of backlash and user exodus, WhatsApp is delaying the rollout of its controversial privacy policy by three months. Instead of applying the new privacy policy on February 8th, the chat app will now apply it on May 15th. In a statement, the company said that it's going to make an extra effort to educate people about the app's privacy and security practices. And this is a quote from um, Facebook. It says, quote, We're now moving back the date on which people will be asked to review and accept the terms. No one will have their account suspended or deleted on February 8th. We're also going to do a lot more to clear up the misinformation around how privacy and security works on WhatsApp. We'll then go to people gradually to review the policy at their own pace before new business options are available on May 15th, unquote. Does it really matter if the company's not making changes to the policy? Probably not. But first, let's rewind a little and look at what's happened in the past couple of weeks. In the first week of the year, WhatsApp started notifying users that a new privacy policy will take place on February 8th, and if they don't accept it, their account will be deactivated. The policy mainly focused on providing leeway for the app's possible integration and data sharing with other Facebook services and laying out a framework for businesses to chat with customers. While it didn't mean to say, quote, we want to share your data with Facebook, unquote, it lined out how much data potentially the app can collect. This change drove people to move away from WhatsApp and adopt other apps such as Telegram and Signal. Both have had tens of millions of people downloading their apps in the past week or so. Telegram has breached the 500 million active user mark while Signal hit 50 million installs on the Play Store. 
Earlier this week, WhatsApp wrote a one-pager explaining the privacy policy in detail, but it didn't really elaborate on any questionable issue. Now the company has said it's delaying its privacy policy update, but it isn't going to change much unless data sharing with Facebook is made optional and there are more privacy-related features to control your data. If WhatsApp wants to win people moving to other apps back, it needs to redefine its privacy policy and find non-intrusive ways to earn money. All right, so there's a few things to uh, kind of unpack there, but I also had not mentioned here, uh, hopefully I don't get this wrong, but as I recall, the, the real turning point for this was years ago, 2016 maybe even, where Facebook basically told everybody, hey, everybody using WhatsApp, we are now going to start sharing your data with Facebook. Uh, you know, originally when they bought WhatsApp, they told regulators, they told the founders of WhatsApp that they were going to keep these things separate, that they, you know, they were going to preserve WhatsApp users' privacy because privacy was a big deal for WhatsApp users. And by the way, there was like over 2 billion WhatsApp users. I mean, that's why Facebook bought them. And so, you know, <laughs> Facebook being Facebook, they totally walked back that, walked back on that. And the two founders actually left Facebook and discussed. One of them went to go on to be a founder, uh, a funder uh, of Signal. His name is Brian Acton. Actually, I actually interviewed with Brian Acton. I had a rare opportunity. I spoke with him for about an hour when I was going to interview to work at Signal a couple of years ago. But anyway, Facebook being Facebook, couldn't keep their hands off that data. So they're basically laying the groundwork to start using more of this data. Now, again, my understanding is they actually changed the relevant privacy policy for this years ago. And this particular update was really only related to uh, WhatsApp enterprise customers, but it was somebody in the news got a hold of it and it just kind of went viral. And, and the big news was, oh my God, if you don't accept, you know, the new WhatsApp policy that lets them share all your data with Facebook, then you're going to get cut off. But in actuality, I think that choice was actually years ago. And this was just a, a, a change actually for WhatsApp enterprise users. Uh, but the damage has been done. Uh, as, and it really should have happened years ago when this change took place. You know, obviously part of the problem is they, is they it was an ultimatum, right? You either do this or you get cut off wasn't like it's going to be on by default and you have to opt out. This was straight up, you know, we're going to do this. <laughs> if you don't like it, you can't use our service anymore. And I think that was the aspect of this that really caused the whole, the whole thing just to go viral and get blown out of proportion. Uh, of course, that's a good thing in this case, because it drove a lot of people away from using WhatsApp to much more privacy preserving messaging apps uh, like Signal. Uh, now, Telegram is much more popular in the sense that it's got many more users but it's not encrypted end-to-end -end by default. Personally, I would still go with Signal. In fact, I just wrote an article about this for the blog if you want to go to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, uh, and it'll tell you how to switch to Signal and why you should be switching. But also, I like the fact this article called them out and basically said <laughs> they're not changing anything. All they're doing is delaying it. They're basically hoping to weather this PR storm, uh, give themselves some more time probably to come up with a really flowery, euphemistic way to tell you that they're, <laughs> they're going to be raping your data. But at the, end of, you know, at the end of the day, Zuck is going to Zuck, which is to say Mark Zuckerberg, who has full control over Facebook, is all about your data. And this is just the next step, the next shoe to fall. So stop using WhatsApp, move to Signal. That's, I guess that's tip zero. Uh, but let's, let's move on to my tip of the week, actually, in this case, tips of the week. Real quick, I will mention there are, there are some other ones. Signal is my, it's my personal favorite. There actually are, these days, there actually are some other really interesting, very secure, very private services out there you might want to look at. Uh, the trouble is most of these apps, if you, every, everybody has to use the same app. So the person on the other end has to have Signal too. So we really kind of need to consolidate around, you know, 
one other option until somebody comes along and federates these things, which there's work being done there too, which I'll mention here in a second. But for now, you know, like instant messengers were back in the day, if you're on AOL's instant messenger, then the person you're talking to also has to be on AOL's instant messenger. If you're on MSN messenger or Yahoo messenger, all those old IM systems, whoever you were talking to had to be on the same system, which means you had to have multiple accounts. And then there came along these products like Trillion and Pigeon that were unified clients that basically at least had one app where all those things were in one, one service. Now you had to log into each of those, you know, services individually, but at least you had one app where you could, you know, do all your messaging from. And actually there's, they're working on similar things for our current messaging. There's one called Beeper. Uh, and it's based off of something called Matrix, and I'm not going to go into all that now. But I, I will note that there are some other systems coming online that are, again, trying to unify these things because there's all these proprietary protocols that they're using because they all want to control your experience. They want to control the app, and, you know, Signal actually is open source, and their their protocol, the Signal protocol, is open source as well. So it's what it, WhatsApp uses it, and I think other things use it too. I did say that the other ones you could look at, I, I hesitate to mention them because again, I don't want to, you know, further contribute to the balkanization of this system, but you know, you could look at Threema, T-H-R-E-E-M-A. You could also look at Wire. You could look at Telegram, just note that Telegram's not an ended encrypted by default. You have to turn that on. So there are other ones, but um, if you're really going to switch, if you're using WhatsApp now and you want to pick something else, I would go with Signal. So let's move on to the tip or tips of the week. And Data Privacy Day is something that happens every year on January 28th. It's actually an international thing now. So now is a great time for me to throw out some tips for preserving your privacy. And there's so, so many of those that I'm going to do this in two different ways. First of all, I just highly recommend that you check out, uh, I've got a comprehensive Data Privacy Day checklist that I maintain on the website. I keep it up to date. Uh, I refer to it each year when there's a new Data Privacy Day rolling around. And there's a dedicated article for 2021 uh, that you know, kind of gives you some incentive for doing it. And then at the very end, it points you to the single list that I maintain for uh, a checklist for all your privacy needs. So you can find that on the website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. And so it, you know, has a full list of privacy tips and, you know, including which browser to use and how to configure it for maximum privacy, uh, how to choose and use a, you know, privacy respecting DNS service and a VPN, how to improve your social media privacy settings and a whole lot more. And it's also got a whole bunch of links to, you know, other privacy guides and websites too. So it's, it, there's tons of info there, but for today's tip of the week, I want to focus on one aspect of this. I want to focus on finding alternatives to one of the worst privacy offenders. And that is Google. Now we love to beat up on Facebook and Instagram and others, rightly so, uh, you know, but in terms of sheer volume of data, the undisputed winner, and I use that in air quotes, winner is Google. They're everywhere. And I mean, everywhere. As I've said many times, you know, Google's an ad company who just not so coincidentally happens to offer a lot of other quote unquote free services. Last I checked, Google makes 90% of their revenue from advertising. And when I say they're everywhere, <laughs> I mean, I'll just run through them again. Google makes the Android operating system. It makes the Chrome browser. Google owns Waze, YouTube, and Nest. And then there's all these Google web apps that we all love, Gmail, Google Calendar, Google Docs, Google Drive, Google Authenticator, and of course, the granddaddy of them all, Google Search. So here's a little experiment for you. Find someone else you know, maybe someone you don't live with, and whip out your laptops or your cell phones and go to Google Search. Start typing a search query on your device and have them type in the same query on their device, but don't hit enter. 
just look at the suggested completions that Google provides for each of you. Are they the same? I seriously doubt it. Try some search strings like, uh, you know, what's the best or what's the worst or where can I buy? Uh, just start typing those without finishing them and, and, and look at the suggested completions to those searches that, that Google offers and compare, <laughs> compare those with the suggested ones from your friends. Now, if you want to try to get a little more personal, you know, maybe you could ask questions related to politics or, or sex or medical conditions or drugs. I mean, think of all the, we, we, we tell things to our search engines and by telling them, by searching on things that we often don't tell our closest friends and family. Google knows a lot about you and it takes those things and it uses those things to suggest search results to you and even search, search uh, query completions to you. So, you know, unless you're taking very serious steps to limit what Google knows about you, your search suggestions and results are going to be based on what Google knows about you. And that could be considerable. Now, of course, you can always find out exactly, well, not exactly. You can, you could, you can get the raw data, uh, not all the conclusions they've drawn, um, but you can get the raw data that Google has on you just by asking. You can find the, if you search on, you know, Google download my data, which is going to be significant. I mean, you, you could you got to, of course, not tell it to download your email. You already have your email just to realize that they do too, but you know, download everything Google has on you. And I think you will be shocked. Uh, there's a site that you might check out called justgetmydata.com, uh, where it shows you basically for all the big services, how to download all your data. And also even gives you a little red, green, yellow indication as to how difficult it is for that service. Uh, that site also happens to be a sister site to justdeleteme.com which is once you've found out all these sites and what they know about you, and you might decide you want to not be associated with them anymore and ask them to delete your data along the, along the way of uh, quitting them, uh, justdeleteme.com is a sister service that helps you do that. All right, so let, let's do a quick lightning round here. Let, let's, let me run through some Google alternatives for you. Uh, and I've got about a dozen of them here. So <laughs> first of all, Google search, the big one, the one that started it all. Uh, of course, the one I recommend is DuckDuckGo. I've been using it for a long time myself. Is it as good as Google? You know, no, actually, I still think it's falls short in a lot of ways. Google, even if it doesn't know anything about you, as they really nailed search. They they know what they're doing. They've they've done some really good work there. Now, DuckDuckGo is still pretty darn good. I haven't really had trouble with it, you know, but it, the trade-off is simple for me. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, another one I've learned about recently that I, I honestly, I can't say that I use, it's a meta search engine, which means it's actually under the covers. It searches on your behalf, several other search engines and kind of merges the results. So I guess, technically speaking, if, if it does a good job there, it's actually, you know, using Google and Bing and Yahoo and Yandex and all, you know, a whole bunch of others behind the scenes and then give them to you in a private way. It's called Metager. I think I'm, I'm guessing because it's, it's out of Germany, M-E-T-A-G-E-R.org. Uh, again, I have not used them much myself, but you know, it might be worth a shot, especially if you find the DuckDuckGo for whatever reason it's not cutting it for you. Um, you might, you might want to give that one a go for Gmail. Uh, we've talked about this recently because we just had Helen, uh, Horseman Allen on the show from Fastmail. Uh, Fastmail, I think is a really good middle of the road alternative, uh, in terms of privacy and, and, and convenience and functionality. It's got a lot of great functionality. Uh, you know, everything you'd come to expect from, from Gmail. It's also of course got calendar and contacts built in uh, among other things and they, you pay for it, you, you pay for it. So they are privacy respecting because they don't care about your data. But, you know, if you really want to kick it up a notch, if you want to go full tilt and in encryption, uh, then you might look at, you know, proton mail or Tutanota. 
T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A. I use both of those as well. The thing is, like kind of like Signal Messenger and other ones, if you really want to take full advantage of that, you're going to need to have someone else who also has an account on those services. Uh, you know, ProtonMail, they actually have come up with kind of interesting ways around that. You can email somebody at Google, uh, and instead of getting the email, they'll get this special link that they got to go click on, and then they can put in a password and, you know, read a private message that way. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but if you want the regular email experience, but you want to know that it's fully end-to-end encrypted and private, you would both need to be on ProtonMail or Tutanota or one of those similar ones. There, there are several, actually. Chrome browser. It's the most popular browser on the planet by a large margin. I, last I saw, it's in the 60%, 60% range or 65% of people on the planet use Google Chrome. And you know what? And it's a great browser. I mean, when, when you talk about functionality, even when you're talking about security uh, and features, it's, it's great. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but it's a privacy nightmare. So I, personally, I use Firefox. Uh, works on iOS, Android, Mac, PC, works everywhere, Linux, um, and with some special plugins like uBlock Origin and Privacy Badger. That's my go-to. I've been using it for years. Uh, if you're truly a Mac-only person, um, then Safari is probably pretty good. I mean, it's definitely good for privacy. Uh, it doesn't, you know, its plugin system is kind of clunky, so you can't really do ad blocking very as easily as you could with Firefox. Uh, but if you really like using Safari, I'd say you could stick with that. But personally, again, I would go with Firefox. There's another one called Brave. Actually, there's actually several. There's there's the Tor browser, which is super, super private, but it's very slow and kind of clunky and you take some getting used to. Um, so you could try that if you really want to kick it up a notch. Then there's Brave, which is this interesting kind of experiment where they're trying to, you know, the web, love it or hate it, is paid for through advertising. Now, they don't have to track you <laughs> in order to advertise to you. You know, they don't mean the same thing. You can You can show ads to somebody without tracking them. Uh, and Brave is trying to kind of straddle that line and, and and allow some of these other sites to show ads and just make sure they don't track you. Uh, it's interesting. It's not my cup of tea, but they are doing some interesting stuff. And I actually might be talking about a, kind of an interesting technological change they made recently called IPFS. Uh, don't worry about what that is now. <laughs> I'll probably get back to it later. But anyway, when it comes to replacing Chrome, to me, the, the, the no-brainer option there is to go with Firefox. Google Drive. Like Dropbox and Microsoft's OneDrive and iCloud, it, it's really, really nice to be able to store files up, you know, up in the cloud, up in the internet. The cloud is a fancy name for someone else's computer. Uh, but what that means is if something happens to your computer, those files are safe and sound somewhere else. The, the key is you want those things to be secure and you want you don't want the company holding on to those files to be able to poke around in, the, uh, in your stuff. So... I, I looked at this really hard for several months a while ago, uh, and I came up with one that I really like and I have been using ever since called sync.com, S-Y-N-C.com. Um, you can set your own password, meaning that they can't see any of your stuff. If you, if you set your own encryption password, uh, they just get encrypted data and they can't tell what you've got stored there. So that's the way I go. Uh, there's another one you might want to look at, though, if for some reason you want to try something different or even more super secure. It's hosted in Switzerland. It's called Tresorit. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. T-R-E-S-O-R-I-T. And, and there are others as well. And when you start getting into these kind of niche privacy areas, there are several of these services um, that you can look at. But um, those are the two I would give a hard look at. Sync.com, I think, is probably feature the most feature-rich and still secure and private one that I personally use, but there are others and Tresorate is one of the top ones of, you know, people really want to go kick it up a notch and make sure that their stuff is stored outside the United States, for example, or outside any of the five eyes countries uh, that share intelligence information. Uh, Tresorate is one of the ones that usually pops up at the top of that list. Uh, for Google Docs, 
this this is a tough one. And you know, Google Docs includes you know, basically it's their version of Word and Excel and PowerPoint, right? They've got their own versions of those. Those are really really good. They work really really well. And honestly, it's really hard to replace them. That's going to be one of the things that I'm going to have the hardest time replacing. Uh, I used I used Google Docs all the time, and I've got a lot of stuff stored there. And a lot of people use it. So when people share stuff with you, you still end up doing it anyway because someone else shared a Google Doc with you. So it's tough. But if you want to get away from Google Docs, there's a few things you might want to look at. Uh, one is called CryptPad, C-R-Y-P-T-P-A-D. Uh, that is one I use when I do want to do anything uh, even remotely private. It's totally free. They may have a pay tier as well, but it's super encrypted. It's it's a little clunky. It's not as not as feature rich as you know Google Sheets or and CryptPad actually has lots of different stuff. It's got forms and polls and sheets and Word documents and uh, text documents. It's got all sorts of stuff. So you might check out CryptPad. Uh, there's another one kind of similar called EtherPad that you can look at. Uh, there's another one called Zoho Docs and Zoho actually makes a full office suite, uh, including email and calendar, a whole bunch of stuff. Now it costs kind of, it costs money. Um, and I looked at it once, but it, for me, it was just, it was too much money and not really something I needed. I could find other ways to, to address those things, but Z-O-H-O, Zoho Docs, you could look at them. Uh, and then for offline stuff, if you want to replace Microsoft and Google Docs together, try LibreOffice, L-I-B-R-E Office. It's an open source project that basically aims to replace Microsoft Office. Unfortunately, it's offline only, so it doesn't really directly replace Google Docs. But I thought I'd mention it um, kind of in the same breath in case you were interested in looking for something to replace Microsoft Office, uh, you know, that you would run locally on your on your smart device or on your computer. Now, Google Photos. Uh, Google Photos, I think, is going to be significantly reducing the amount of free space that they're giving you. So if you're heavily into Google photos, you're going to need to come up with a replacement by this summer or pay them money. I admit, I really don't use these kind of services that much. I keep all my photos pretty much on my computer. uh, And I use iCloud to share some photos privately with my family members uh, from time to time. Um, But so these are ones I honestly have not used and don't know much about, but I've seen these pop up several times. So I will throw them out in case this is something that you might find useful. Uh, and I'll give you two. Uh, one is called Piwigo, Piwigo, <laughs> P-I-W-I-G-O, uh, and that's .org. Uh, you can actually self-host that if you want, which I'm not sure how many of you in the audience would be interested in doing that, which basically means you would need to run your own server. It's not as hard as it sounds, but um, it does take a little bit of tech savvy. Uh, or you could actually uh, pay them, and they, uh, they've they got a, a version that they host in the cloud that you could use. Looks pretty good. Uh, there's another one called Crypti. C-R-Y-P-T dot E-E is the website. And they have other things uh, as well as photo sharing. Um, again, I honestly have not used them, but I've seen these recommended by several privacy people I rec- uh, that I respect. So um, if Google Photos is a thing you use and you're looking at uh, replacing it, you might give those two a look. Now, Google Groups, uh, that wasn't mentioned above, but that's something that I used uh, quite a bit for a while. Uh, I used Yahoo Groups too back in the day. I've got some groups that I like, you know, some basically mailing lists, but, you know, modern groups have much more than that. You can share files and share photos and, you know, you can have a shared database of things like, you know, contact information. I find them still very useful. I looked at many of these and uh, and again, the one that I personally ended up settling on was called groups.io. And they've got a lot of great functionality and they've got a free version that's got some very basic stuff and you can pay to have your group expanded to even more features. So check them out, groups.io. If you just want a simple mailing list, it'll do that for you for free. Now, as far as YouTube, you know, most people probably consume stuff off of YouTube as opposed to, you know, 
sharing content there. But if you do, you might look at uh, Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. And finally, a couple couple more uh, Android operating system. This is tough. I mean, if you've, got, if you've got an Android device, unless you're really technical, you're going to have a hard time replacing the operating system. Though there's are, there are some replacements. Lineage OS is one. I have never done it. I don't know how hard it is to do, but I know people who have done it. Uh, basically replace the operating system on their phone uh, and get rid of Android. Uh, or you could try something like the Librem 5 from Purism, which was, one of the, which was one of the big prizes we gave away in the 200th podcast, which was built from the ground up, hardware and software, to be privacy and uh, respecting. Otherwise, just get an iPhone. Apple's not perfect, but they're way better when it comes to privacy than, than Google is. And finally, just to round out the list, uh, Google Hangouts isn't really terribly popular. But in terms of, you know, messaging apps like WhatsApp, again, I would just go with, I would go with Signal. It's great. It runs on iPhones and Android and Mac and PC. It's very simple to set up and they collect like zero data. Zero. If you look at their, I think actually, if you look at their iOS privacy report, I think the only thing they collect is your phone number. And they kind of use that to bypass having to know about any of your contact list. So basically you find other people on Signal by looking for their phone number. And this is not information that uh, WhatsApp itself uh, stores to the best of my knowledge, other than, well, I guess they store that I get your account, but they don't store like your friends list. That That's actually purely local to you. And just uh, look up your current contacts to see if any of those contacts also have signal. So there you go. My not even exhaustive, but exhausting list of Google replacements. And those are my tips of the week in honor of data privacy day. All right, everybody, thanks again for tuning in. We're going to have another news show for next week. There's there's topics I didn't get a chance to cover today that I'm going to cover next week. Some of them are really kind of interesting. I tried to cover the ones that were maybe more um, timely or the ones that were more important, but I've still got some really good stories to cover next week. There has been a, a very damning report coming out recently, again, calling attention to how intelligence analysts in the U.S. are basically bypassing the Constitution to get your smartphone location data without a warrant. We're going to talk about a welcome change from Apple. I had complained some weeks ago about how it was found that they had exempted themselves from some firewall features uh, that would allow you to have more control over where your data goes, and they fixed that. That's a good thing. Microsoft and actually Google Chrome, too, has got some new password monitoring systems that I'm going to tell you about a little bit. There's, I saw an article from, and this probably hit the news because this is the kind of story that you know the networks love to, to show. Uh, about how Microsoft has a patent, which doesn't mean they're going to do anything with it, but uh, it's been revealed that Microsoft has at least filed a patent that would let them sort of recreate dead loved ones in the form of a chat bot using artificial intelligence. Yeah, right. So creepy. We'll talk about that next week. And then some police robots, these kind of goofy, benign-looking robots that are basically used for surveillance purposes that and more in our news show next week so real quick i guess i should have said uh, make sure you check the show notes i've got a link to the um uh, my current blog entry about data privacy day which has links to all the stuff i just talked about with google alternatives and it's got way more it's got also my privacy checklist with tons and tons of tips and even pointers to even more more lists of tips and things to do so data privacy day january 28th check out my blog entry around that that i do every year uh, and you'll find links to all the stuff I just talked about. 
Okay, reminder, please, 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 please fill out the annual listener survey. You can find that at bit.ly slash firewalls-survey-2021. That's bit.ly slash firewalls, all one word, capital F, uh, dash survey, dash 2021. I'm going to be keeping that open for well, probably another couple of weeks uh, at the most. So get in there and please let me know, uh, you know, how long should this podcast be? What's the right balance between news and interviews? Who should I interview? What topics should I cover? That and, and much more. I really want to get your feedback on make this podcast the best it can be for my audience. And while I have gotten some good responses so far and some interesting responses, I need a lot more. So this is your chance to be heard. This is your chance to directly influence what's going on. And I, f I forgot to mention, I said there was going to, last week, I said there's going to be an incentive to do so. Uh, and if you need one, uh, I will be giving away at least one free PDF copy of my book to people that submit their surveys. Now, you could do it anonymously. You don't have to tell me who you are. Uh, but if you'd like to enter to get a free copy of my book, uh, there's a place there for you to put your email address, and I will let you know. Now, I've got several interviews again in the hopper. Some really cool ones coming up that probably should start uh, not next week. Obviously, that's a new show. But the week after that, that's when the interview should kick back in again. Uh, now, would you like to know who they are? Would you like to maybe even suggest some questions I might want to ask? Well, then you need to check out Patreon.com. I am finally, finally getting around to completely revamping my Patreon page and adding some really cool content. In fact, I've got... I got so much, so many ideas, I'm trying to figure out which one to prioritize. But, I mean, just some of the things I'm thinking about doing, and some things I'm already starting to do, is uh, I'm going to be giving you sneak peeks to all my supporters. Uh, the people that are already patrons already know who those interviews are going to be, who I'm going to be talking to soon. I had usually avoided talking about them here because I don't want to get everybody's hopes up and then something falls through, like, oh, I don't know, say Jeffrey Fowler. <laughs> Uh, I still hope to get him on and, uh, nothing, nothing, it's nothing on him. He's, he's a very, very, very busy guy. And I really shouldn't have even mentioned his name here, uh, until it was much more certain. However, uh, for patrons, you get to look behind the curtain. I will tell you what's going on uh, with the caveat that it may fall through, but I'm giving you a sneak peek of what's coming up and I will, I'm planning on finding ways for you to actually even, you know, suggest topics and questions for me to ask during those interviews. But that's not all. Also, my patrons already know what was in today's show. In fact, they've already got all the show notes. I'm going to be posting, at least the day before the show drops, the a preview of the show notes that includes all the links and tells you what I'm going to be talking about. So if you're a patron, you'll know what's going to be on the show uh, before it happens. Again, I'm trying to find more ways. Uh, I want to find some ways for my patrons to directly interact with me. I can't. I can't possibly you know, directly interact with all my listeners. That's too many people. But, uh, for those who are patrons, I'm going to find some ways for you guys to directly ask me questions. And perhaps even we'll do those AMAs that I've been talking about those Q and a sessions. I've got lots of great ideas. And in fact, I've got, I've got another survey uh, for patrons and would be patrons. If you want to influence what that might be, or at least how I prioritize what those cool new things are going to be, you'll have a chance to do that too. Uh, you can find the link at patreon.com. And just search on firewalls, firewalls don't stop dragons. Uh, and realize that I'm going to be modifying that page here in the next couple months as I flesh out what what these new, really cool, exclusive content things are going to be for my patrons and at what level they're going to kick in. But I'm super, super excited. I'm, I'm I've been meaning to do this for so long, and until I retired, I just really, honestly, didn't have a chance to sit back and really, really deep do a deep dive on this and come up with some great ideas. And I've got some cool ones. Um, something else I I. I I'm working on is some cool swag, some, some stuff that I will be sending, like physically shipping, 
to patrons. Uh, you know, I'll probably do something simple. I'll maybe do some stickers or, you know, maybe we could look at t-shirts or something like that. But I've got another really cool idea that I don't want to give away just yet that will, that I, I think is just going to be so, so cool and something you will not find anywhere else. Something else I'm going to be doing for various levels of Patreon, I'm going to give you some behind the scenes. You can see what it's like for me to make my podcast and what it's like to work on my book and some of the other things I've got going on. I'm making some videos right now for A-Press. I'm hoping to eventually make some videos for YouTube. I want to write more books. And I'm planning to uh, make sure that my patrons are all up to date on what kind of things are coming up and things I'm thinking about. And again, hopefully find some good ways for you to actually give me some feedback and help me prioritize those things and give direct feedback on some of those things. So now's a great time to get in because I'm prioritizing all of these insane number of ideas that I've got. And so you can go to patreon.com. And even if you're not going to be a patron just yet, you can take the survey anyway as a would-be patron and tell me what kind of things you think would be most valuable and most interesting to you. So to find that survey, just go to patreon.com. I'm not going to list it here. The other one I really want to, of course, make sure you get to first is the listener survey. Again, bit.ly slash firewalls dash survey dash 2021 with a capital F. Please get that done in the next couple of weeks. I would very much appreciate it. And I will certainly share the results of that survey, the high-level results with you guys when all the stuff comes in. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for hanging in there. we got, again, another new show next week. Thanks to all who have posted reviews for the podcast and for the book. As more come in, I will certainly read them here on the air. Stay safe, everybody. Get that vaccine as soon as you can. Help others get it as well. Stay indoors. Keep wearing those masks. Stay safe. And as always, everybody, until next week, don't get caught with the drawbridge down. Mm-hmm.